Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? Just wanted to make sure my squigglies were squiggling. <laughs> That's are my are, squigglies squiggling? They are. Those are the technical terms for anyone out there listening. Uh, are your squigglies squiggling right now, Rob? They're called waveforms. I paid a lot to have that knowledge. Excuse me. They are called squigglies, and currently they are squiggling. I hate my life. <laughs> Technically, I'm not wrong. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to What Do You Got? This is episode 26. We are hustling along in the year 2021, trying to get everything done uh, on a timely manner so that you guys have some great content every other Thursday. We are recording this on Wednesday the 10th, which means this episode will actually be out tomorrow the 11th. So while you're listening to it, we hope you enjoy it. We have a pretty interesting story coming at you this time. That was a lot of numbers. (laughs) It's just the Fibonacci sequence. I'm just yelling it out loud. Um, (laughs) We've got a, a pretty interesting story coming to you this week, and we hope you enjoy what we speak into your headphones. Um as always, history writes better stories than we ever could. Yeah, it's really true. And I'm very excited about this one because I, I took it as kind of a tangent and used it uh, as a base for where I went with mine. So it's very different. Not Well, not very different, but it is quite different from the article with where I went with my pitch. So I'm excited to see how we bring this together. Hmm. Well, why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about uh, about a certain Olympic event? Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I just shut off my microphone and leave. <laughs> so, <hung> up on <laughs> me. So today's article, ladies and gentlemen, um, is brought to you by SmithsonianMag.com. Uh, as always, link in the description below of the episode. Uh, the title of this uh, article is The 1904 Olympic Marathon May Have Been the Strangest Ever. Subheader, in 1904, St. Louis hosted the Olympic Games as part of the World's Fair and produced a spectacle that incorporated all the mischief of the Midway. So this article goes into pretty heavy detail. I'm not going to sit back and read the entire thing, but I will try to kind of go through and read excerpts and snippets of what happened. Basically, the 1904 Olympics was a god-awful mess, and it almost actually made the Olympics go away forever. Um, It was the first time America had ever hosted uh, in St. Louis, as I said, in 1904. Um, It was supposed to be uh, celebrating the centennial of the Louisiana Purchase, uh, which was uh, obviously 100 years prior. The Olympics went so poorly that the whole world almost decided that maybe we shouldn't do this anymore, ever again Um, it's it's such a huge deal even in modern terms when they decide not to do an event at the olympics anymore yeah like when they cut out (laughs) baseball a few years ago or there was discussion even uh, a few years back about not doing wrestling anymore yeah which people were up in arms about because the olympics started with just wrestling and running yeah yeah it's uh, the, the greeks were were all about those two uh those two categories 
Um, so although there were moments of surprise and genuine triumphs, such as gymnast George Iser earning six medals, including three golds, despite his wooden leg, uh, the games were largely overshadowed by the fair, which because uh, I'm sorry, it, it happened at the same time as the World's Fair uh, were overshadowed by the fair, which offered its own roster of sporting events, including the controversial Anthropology Day, in which a group of before I continue this sentence, I do want everybody to know uh, this article is about 1904. So there is some language in here that we probably would not use to describe uh, certain groups of individuals. Uh, so please don't hold that against us or Smithsonian Mag as they are just properly uh, using journalistic Quoting. integrity to quote the proper uh, terms of the times. Uh, so uh, it offered its own roster of sporting events, including the controversial Anthropology Day, in which a group of, quote, savages rec uh, recruited from the fair's international villages competed in a variety of athletic feats, among them a greased pole climb, quote, ethnic dancing, and mudslinging for the amusement of Caucasian spectators. Pierre de Cobierne, uh, which is probably absolutely not how you pronounce that, um, a, French, <laughs> a French historian and founder of the International Olympic Committee, took disapproving note of the spectacle and made a prescient observation, quote, as for that outrageous charade, it will, of course, lose its appeal when black men, red men, and yellow men learn to jump, run, and throw and leave the white men behind, end quote. I am going to very obviously use quotes for all these type of uh, lines of dialogue as I don't feel comfortable even reading them aloud. But it's, it's, it's absurd <laughs> in a historical context to see the strange confidence and fragility of white men during yes. these periods. Absolutely. Like, at first, like, there's no way they can be better. And then when it becomes clear <laughs> that they are better, they said things like there's that uh, thing they were saying about Jackie Robinson. Oh, uh, you know, black men can run faster and stronger because they have a longer heel bone yeah, than yeah, white yeah. men, which, you know, I think he hits a home run in the next scene in the movie. And they're like, is that the heel bone? That the heel bone, Jerry? <laughs> was that what that is? Was that what that is? Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Olympic signal event, the marathon, was conceived to honor the classical heritage of Greece and underscore the connection between the ancient and the modern. But from the start, the 1904 marathon was less showstopper than sideshow, a freakish spectacle that seemed more in keeping with the carnival atmosphere of the fair than the reverential mood of the games. The outcome was so scandalous that the event was nearly abolished for good uh we we go on in the article just to talk a little bit more about the different runners uh in in the marathon of 1904 a few of the runners were recognized marathoners who had either won or placed in the boston marathon or had placed in previous olympic marathons but the majority of the field was composed of middle distance runners and assorted quote oddities a uh, americans sam meller a.l newton john lorden michael spring and thomas hicks all experienced marathoners were among the favorites. Another American, Fred Lors, did all his training at night because he had a day job as a bricklayer and learned his spot in the Olympics by placing in a, quote, special five-mile race sponsored by the Amateur <laughs> Athletic Union. It just, sounds, yeah, it just sounds like a bunch of actual marathon guys yeah. and then your dad. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you got all these marathon runners and then you're like, ah, shit, we're one guy down. Hey, go to the local butcher shop and ask them if John wants to run. <laughs> <laughs> um he's got a free lunch break <laughs> it's, it's a one-hour lunch that should be longer right that should be enough that's that's enough time um among the leading oddities were 10 greeks who had never run a marathon two men of the sunan uh sorry suana tribe of south africa who were in st louis as part of the south african world's fair exhibit and who arrived at the starting line barefoot 
and a Cuban national and former mailman named Felix Carabal, who, again, I'm probably mispronouncing that, who raised money to come to the States by demonstrating his running prowess throughout Cuba, once trekking the length of the island. Upon his arrival in New Orleans, he lost all his money on a dice game, and he had to walk and hitchhike to St. Louis. At five feet tall, he presented a slight but striking figure at the starting line, attired in a white long-sleeved shirt, long dark pants, a beret, and a pair of street shoes. One fellow Olympian took pity, found a pair of scissors, and cut Caraballa's trousers at the knee. There's a picture of him uh, yes. in his uh, running gear in the article, and I, I very much encourage everyone to find it because it's, it's great, hilarious to imagine running what is it, 26 miles? Yes, yeah. in like in like dress shoes and like cut off slacks, <laughs> covered in blood. Yeah, seriously, it's it reminds me of uh, the episode in the office when Andy doesn't want to chafe his nipples, <laughs> and he does very he does. very badly. <laughs> Uh, we're going to skip down a little bit. Uh, there were only two athlete. I'm sorry. There were only two places where athletes could secure fresh water during the run from a water tower at six miles and a roadside well at 12 miles. James Sullivan, the chief organizer of the game, wanted to minimize fluid intake to test the limits and effects of purposeful dehydration. Let me rephrase that. Not rephrase it. Let me repeat that purposeful dehydration a common area of research at the time cars carrying coaches and physicians motored alongside the runners kicking the dust up and launching coughing spells literally dirt roads where these crappy ass 1904 cars were just chugging along and kicking dirt up into the mouths of the runners behind them when they talk about the conditions (laughs) they were running in like inches of dust on the road yeah yeah it's like just, snow yeah. but <laughs> dust running up hills that you know were based they were basically climbing like this is not a marathon <laughs> uh fred lords remember him he's the guy that owned the bricklaying company uh led the 32 starters from the gun but by the first mile thomas hicks edged ahead william garcia of california nearly became the first fatality of an olympic marathon when he collapsed on the side of the road and was hospitalized with hemorrhaging the dust had coated his esophagus and ripped his stomach lining <sighs> had he gone uh. had he gone unaided an hour longer he might have bled to death John Lorden suffered a bout of vomiting and gave up. Len Tao, one of South African participants, was chased a mile off course by wild dogs. Felix Caraval trotted along in his cumbersome shoes and billowing shirts, making good time, even though he paused to chat with spectators in broken English. On one occasion, he stopped at a car, saw that its occupants were eating peaches and asked for one. Being refused, he playfully snatched two and ate them as he ran. A bit further along the course, he stopped at an orchard and snacked on some apples, which turned out to be rotten. Suffering from (laughs) stomach cramps, he lay down and took a nap. Sam Meller, now in the lead, also experienced severe cramping. He slowed to a walk and eventually stopped. At the nine-mile mark, cramps also plagued Lords, who decided to hitch a ride in one of the accompanying automobiles, waving at spectators and fellow runners as he passed. It's, (laughs) I mean... If someone just wrote this down and and published it as a piece of fiction, yeah, from the and then he took a nap, I would have probably slapped the writer to the ground it's, and taken their wallet for wasting my time. It's one of those moments where if we were to pitch this movie as literally this article, not take any tangents, uh, you know, any uh, writer's liberties, if we were to just pitch this, the producers we pitched this to would just say, look us straight in the face and go, no, this isn't believable, you idiots. Even though it's a comedy, it needs to be believable. <laughs> 
Hicks. It's, yeah. it's not. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not fake. <laughs> Hicks, one of the early American favorites, came under the care of a two-man support crew at the 10-mile mark. He begged them for a drink, but they refused, instead sponging out his mouth with warm, distilled water. Seven miles from the finish, his handlers fed him a concoction of strychnine and egg whites, the first recorded instance of drug use in the modern Olympics. Strychnine in small poison. doses. <laughs> literally poison. Strychnine in small doses was commonly used as a stimulant, and at the time, there were no rules about performance-enhancing drugs. Hicks' team also carried a flask of French, bra- uh, French brandy, but decided to withhold it until they could gauge the runner's condition. Meanwhile... Lords, recovered from his cramps, emerged from his 11-mile ride in the automobile. One of Hicks' handlers saw him and ordered him off the course, but Lords kept running and finished with a time of just under three hours. The crowd roared and began chanting, An American one! Alice Roosevelt, the 20-year-old daughter of President Theodore Roosevelt, placed a wreath around Lords' head and was just about to lower the gold medal around his neck when one witness reported, quote, someone called an indignant halt to the proceedings with the charge that Lords was an imposter, end quote. The cheers turned to booze, Lords smile, and claimed that he had never intended to accept the honor. He finished only for the sake of a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't we hear that all the time nowadays? Jeez, you people can't take a joke. Yeah, where was the joke? Where was the joke when you it's, used the racial slur? It's it's like when people prank someone and they film it for YouTube, and the prank is like punching someone in the face and breaking their nose and being like, "Dude, it was just a prank." Boom, roasted. <laughs> Hicks, the strychnine coursing through. His, sorry, this sentence alone. Hicks, the strychnine coursing through his blood had grown ashen and limp. When he heard that Loris had been disqualified, he perked up and forced his legs into a trot. His trainers gave him another dose of strychnine and egg whites, this time with some brandy to wash it Please down. Stop. They, they, they fetched warm water and soaked his body and head. After the bathing, he appeared to revive and quickened his pace. Quote, over the last two miles of the road, wrote race official Charles Lucas, Hicks was running mechanically like a well-oiled piece of machinery. His eyes were dull, lusterless. The ashen color of his face and skin had deepened. His arms appeared as weights well tied down. He could scarcely lift his legs while his knees were almost stiff. He began hallucinating, believing that the finish line was still 20 miles away. In the last mile, he begged for something to eat. Then he begged to lie down. He was given more brandy, but refused tea. He swallowed two more egg whites. He walked up the first of the last two hills and then jogged down on the incline. Swinging into the stadium, he tried to run, but was reduced to a graceless shuffle. His trainer carried him over the line, holding him aloft Mm. while his feet moved back and forth, and he was declared the winner. One last small paragraph. It took four doctors and one hour for Hicks to feel well enough just to leave the grounds. He had (laughs) lost eight. He had lost eight pounds during the course of the race. This is actual torture. (laughs) And declared, quote, never in my life have I run such a tough course. The terrific hills. Oh, shoot. The ads just like popped up and moved my space. The terrific hills simply (laughs) tear a man to pieces. End quote. Hicks and Lores would meet again at the Boston Marathon the following year, which Lores won without the aid of anything but his legs. (laughs) And probably, you know, water. (laughs) And probably, you know, water, hydration, some sort of you know regimen my mouth is dry just thinking about this seriously it's dusty too i'm glad i got a a drink of water before we started Uh, everyone at home hydrate with us please please do um yeah that's the 1904 olympic marathon and 
my God, this may be, it sort of reminds me of the movie we pitched about the, uh, the death row inmates playing baseball, Mm -hmm. but this one doesn't have any embellishment. (laughs) No, I I was actually worried about this coming into the recording because like for a while it felt like there was no room for imagination. Yeah, and that's... It's just like, this. you know, I'm going to wind up making a documentary reenactment here. Like, what the fuck is yeah. this? It, it, it feels very much kind of like you watch kind of like those old 1940s serials or 1920s movies where it's all sped up and stuff. And it's just like Charlie Chaplin running around and tripping over things and stuff like that. But it's like 50 men doing the same stuff. 100%. Um, and that's that's actually the reason I chose to go a little bit off of a tangent and not make it just the Olympic game in my, in my pitch. Mm -hmm. Well, we've, we've got to try and pin this thing down and either make it more believable or less believable. (laughs) We can't just stay in one place. So Nick, what do you got? All right. So I am going to uh, wholeheartedly uh, divulge that I I created literally just a Judd Apatow movie. Um, So my, my premise here before I get into, obviously my director is Judd Apatow Uh, before I get into my cast, which I'm sure if you know, Judd Apatow, you know, the cast I chose uh, and my title, the premise here is, is loosely based off of this idea. So I I don't know when it should take place. I was thinking the early 1900s, but I don't know if it really matters. Um, But mine is actually, instead of just a marathon, it's a triathlon. And the premise is that a man is offering his daughter's hand in marriage to the best athlete of this triathlon. So running, cycling, and swimming. And it's a group of people who are actively trying to partake in this triathlon and compete for the daughter's hand in marriage. Hmm. Um, My cast is with the father of the daughter being played by one of my all-time favorites, Bradley Whitford. Hey, I know you've been watching the West Wing. I have been watching the West Wing. Um, I'm sorry that it stops being good. I'm in the middle of season three right now. I took a little bit of a break because I have trouble marathoning shows that are 60 minutes. I'm sorry, an hour, Mm -hmm. um, 45 minutes, whatever it ends up being. Uh, I have trouble marathoning those shows because I I get I get kind of bored quickly. Uh, So I'm Mm -hmm. taking a break from it for a little while, but I'm I'm mid season three and I'm still loving it. Um, My other cast members. So the daughter is played by Teresa Palmer. Um, oh. And then I have a cast of my marathon or my triathlon uh, athletes, Seth Rogen, Craig Robinson, Paul Rudd, James Franco, Danny McBride, and one of my absolute favorite actresses, Catherine Hahn. So yes, mm. there is a woman also competing for this daughter's hand in marriage. Um, and I have a feeling three of those people are going to be really <laughs> mad at you for making them run. <laughs> I have a feeling I want my ending to be that Catherine Hahn wins. And it's kind of just Bradley Whitford just being like, all right, well, I mean, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's the idea is that I have these different scenarios where like during the swimming portion of the triathlon, like what I'm thinking like Paul Rudd is swimming and they're literally swimming in like the ocean and there are sharks like swimming around them or something (laughs) Um, during the, uh, the biking portion, someone sabotages one of the bikes, which leads the other person to steal a child's bike and ride that Uh, during the running portion. Someone rolls boulders down the hill next to them, trying to hit the other Runners. Um, so I, I I came up with like this idea of all this stuff because I wanted to kind of do one of my all time favorite movies, which I think I've mentioned on here, which Rob obviously knows is it's a mad, 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 mad world. Um, I kind of wanted to put this in the vein of mad world and rat race, but everything's on foot. Um, so 
we don't oh have. Boy. And the the only other reason I, I was thinking possibly the early 1900s is the idea of using the cars and the scenario of like the dust kicking up uh, in front of the other runners might be funny. Um, and I don't want cell phones and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe like the 60s or something or just forget about the technology. Um, but that's my director. That's my cast. My title, I thought of two, but I think the first one is absolutely perfect. My title for this film is Runner's High. Um, because mm. you know Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen and all them, um, and the other the other title I came up with uh, was also another runner's lingo, which is called Junk Miles, which is just about <laughs> apparently the extra miles runners add on, like just to pad their mileage during a run. Interesting. Um, but that is the film that I came up with. I went on a tangent away from the Olympics and just made it kind of like this slapstick Apatow comedy uh, about these people competing for this woman's hand in marriage. Um, so that's what I got. Rob, what do you got? So we didn't actually, uh, wind up too far apart on this. Really? Surprising. Yes. Um, because I also really love It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. And that's, it's the first thing I thought of (laughs) was a madcap race, uh, for a particular goal. Um, uh, and I was talking before about, you know, the problem with trying to do this straight is it's just a documentary and then something occurred to me. Yeah. So this is the first pitch that I have that I want to pitch to a particular studio. Okay. Um, because I would be pitching this to the Walt Disney Company. Hmm. Because ultimately what mine is going to be is a fake ESPN 30 for 30. Okay. <laughs> um, for for now, anyone out there who may not know 30 for 30, do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, 30 for 30 is, um, I mean, it started originally as this limited documentary project that ESPN was doing. Um, the title no longer makes sense because it was like 30 documentaries over 30 days or something like that. Yeah. And now it's just the name of this ongoing series, but they're some of the most acclaimed um, sports documentaries of all time. Uh, and it's a consistently valuable and uh, extremely prestigious brand. Yeah, my, my um, favorite one is, has always been the one the, the day the OJ trial happened or the OJ, uh, the Bronco chase. The Bronco chase. Yeah, all the incredible stuff that happened in sports on that day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, of course, we have to watch the Bronco chase. <laughs> but uh, I, know, Arnold, I already, Arnold Palmer's last great game. I, and, I already you know, said Houston I'm Bob Rockets. Costas. I, <laughs> they, they already know I'm Bob Costas. <laughs> if, you, was, if you haven't seen that video, people, please look up Bob Costas 1994 or whatever that is. <laughs> it's so goddamn funny. And, you know, I, I used to work at a, sp- a particular sports network. I'm not going to say which. But, you know, the Bob Costas also worked there. And he did it again. <laughs> That same looper, and I, I think actually I saved that file and sent yes. it to you one day. Yes. <laughs> anyways, um, so yeah, I want to take a sort of a mockumentary but very serious approach to it. Uh, my director is Adam McKay. Uh, okay. Which is not too far off. From yeah, not at all. <laughs> uh, my titles, I have three. Uh, the first one's A Gentleman's Wager. The second one is Athletic Achievement. And the third one is No Contest. Mm, I like No Contest. Um, so, uh, in trying to trim it down to a more manageable story, uh, and something that we're going to be doing in mockumentary fashion with over the top reenactments and people in studio doing talking head interviews, yeah. uh, my cast is as follows, uh, as the president of the international Olympic committee, Rowan Atkinson, <laughs> Mr. Bean, uh, very handsome actor, Dan Stevens will be playing actual marathoner. Uh, and athlete and favorite to win the contest guy. 
Um, Dan, uh, Downton Abbey. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> uh, Jonah Hill will be playing some schlub who won a contest and got into the race. <laughs> what Michael, what weight Jonah Hill are we using? Whatever he is now is fine. We'll work <laughs> with it. <laughs> Michael Pena as a Cuban runner. Yes. Uh, Brie Larson will be playing a woman who disguises herself as a man. All right. Amanda Bynes and and uh, uh, what's it? She's all that. <laughs> yes. Um, and basically, it's going to be a telling of uh, the vast amount of cheating and weirdness that happened in in this race, of course. So uh, Dan Stevens is playing our our typical Olympic hero type character mm-hmm. who's favored to win the race. And you know, we do backgrounds on all these characters at the beginning, and he pretty much within the first several miles of the race is the guy who begins vomiting blood <laughs> from all the dust and is knocked out of the race. Okay, so he's like immediately gone. He's almost immediately out of the race, yes. He's absolutely <laughs> choking on dust, and they all just leave him, and no one helps him, because um, he's a pretty boy who everyone thought was going to win. Yeah, not only that, but they're all just like, cool, that's one less competitor down. <laughs> and with Jonah Hill, he's going to be the, the guinea pig character that... Um, race organizers and his team decide this is a good story so they are trying to cheat on his behalf and give him these poisonous drugs and egg whites uh, and and compelling him along and he's essentially by the end of it in a drug addled haze and extremely violent uh, as we go along uh, Brie Larson's character uh, in addition to being disguised as a man is openly sabotaging everyone else from the race <laughs> Uh, and doing things much like your your bolder idea and yeah. trying to sabotage different elements of the contest and either talk people out of the race uh, or cause them physical harm. And Michael Pena is just happy to be here, but he is the one who is dressed incorrectly and is <laughs> wounding himself with every step, but he's trying to smile through it. Is he wearing dress shoes? He's wearing dress shoes, yes. <laughs> what year does this take place? Is this 1904? This is 1904, yeah. Okay, okay, so it takes place during... Uh, I also have cameos for this. Nice. Uh, Because in the background, observing all of this and steadily keeping pace and ultimately who are going to win the race uh, in in this particular thing are Keen Peel. Who you just keep noticing like slightly out of focus in the back. Is that Keen (laughs) Peel? They're just just kind of like jogging past. (laughs) Yeah. And by the end, Jonah Hill thinks he's won and he's celebrating and swinging his arms around and He's getting applause, but like up on the podium for for gold and silver, there's Key and Peel. Just like, <laughs> did he think he won? <laughs> I love that. Maybe like, there's like, it's not the real podium. He is on like a crate, thinking that that's the podium. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, in the background, I thought it would be funny to be referential to you know if we wind up making these movies and making them sequentially. Um, just kind of casually running along because he's unkillable is Michael Malloy, the unkillable Irishman. <laughs> we just bring in our character. It's just the, the what is this? The what do you got universe? <laughs> yep. It's just Pierce Brosnan chugging along. <laughs> like we're even less referential about that. It's just yeah. kind of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's my movie. All right. Okay. This is going to be interesting because where do we go with this? Um, we're going to have to piece this one together. I mean, Adam McKay and Judd Apatow, they're so they're so similar in their styles that either one of them could easily work. Um, I think Judd has 
done documentaries. I think so too. Yeah. Um, if I recall, like I think he made the Gary Shandling documentary on HBO. I didn't even know there was a Gary Shandling documentary. Oh, it's great. Huh. Um, I learned a lot, um, especially that he was a very athletic and fit guy, and he looked the way he did, did because he was ill. Really? Mm-hmm. Is he? Uh, he's just basically an actor, right? Yeah, Gary Shandling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a stand-up comedian and an actor. He was yeah. a comedian. Okay. Yep. And uh, yeah, he passed away suddenly. Recently, but, uh, yeah, right? It was a good little documentary. Didn't he die what? recently? Uh, it was a few years ago. Oh, okay. Um. All right, so... So I, I would probably switch to Judd Apatow off the bat. Okay. So we can definitely pull in... Uh, oh, yeah, he died in 2016. Jeez, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we'll use Judd as our director. Now, my question... I'm just trying to pull these together and see which style would work best because the thing is, with both of our story ideas, it could work as a film, but I don't know if I... I don't know if both story ideas could work as a mockumentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out what our best best bet around that is, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Yours was, was in the pursuit of, of winning, winning a, a woman's chance hand to marry someone. Yeah, yeah I, I, I pulled it away from the, from the Olympics on purpose. Um, I don't know. I love Teresa Palmer. So that's also one of the reasons I wanted to do that kind of. <laughs> plot um because she's i i think she's uh very talented um Mm. so let's think here i do like the notion like teresa if teresa palmer like if we folded her into the more realistic one if she played alice roosevelt who's historically a really badass woman yeah I, I like the notion that kind of the final boss of this is that the American runners have made such a debacle out of things that they now have to fist fight Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> and that his is, daughter. That is going ultimate slapstick. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, like, I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know if I'm sold on the mockumentary idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of some of like the the, the big mockumentaries. The, the biggest one that comes to mind has always been Woody Allen's Zelig. Um, oh, that's the one where he like puts himself in historical events. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to just think of how this would work as kind of a full length film. I don't know if I see the Talking Heads style working, just mm-hmm. because the the mockumentary aspect of it and how slapstick it is. I feel like in the talking heads aspect would just be a little too much deadpan humor. If that makes sense. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it is a little, probably a little too similar to that movie. The lonely Island did on HBO about the tour de France. Oh, I actually didn't even see that one either. Yeah. Now I'm thinking that it's, it's stylistically pretty similar. They basically did like an HBO real sports. Okay. About yeah. this one tour de that's, France. You know, that's, that's the tough thing about mockumentaries is that like, once you get to the talking head moments, if it's like a seriously like wacky comedy, every one of your talking heads moments is, is really just going to be kind of deadpan humor. And I feel like that can be very difficult to like traverse the grounds around that. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm okay with moving on from that as a concept. Okay. Okay. So we'll go, we'll just, we'll pull it into a, a regular film. And now the object of discussion shall be whether or not we stick with the Olympics or we go the route of 
and and again i don't i don't want to be pulling just like my pitch as like the main premise but just trying to figure out which one would work best i mean ultimately they're both about foot races so i don't yeah. see why we would necessarily have to take it abstract and have it just be a race for a prize okay nebulously okay. like they can both be the same thing like it yeah. can be you know this is the world's fair so like yeah, it can yeah, be yeah. the olympic race and you get a chance to win uh to take the the lovely first daughter of the united states out to dinner okay also, i like, that. like that yeah yeah because that that'll kind of bring it together i'm definitely good with that so we keep it 1904 we put it into um a, not a mockumentary just a regular style film um we have Teresa palmer playing uh what's her name what Ro- alice alice roosevelt um there's actually a pretty uh, famous quote because she was, you know, she was a wild kid and she was out partying. And I, th- I think like she had a snake and she got into fights and stuff all the time. And uh, somebody, Roosevelt's were weird, man. Yeah. Like somebody was saying, you know, Mr. Roosevelt, you should really try and control your daughter. And he said uh, something along the lines of I can I can run this country or I can control Alice. I cannot <laughs> possibly do both. I love that. I'm trying to think of who we could use to play Teddy because, like, the greatest person to ever friggin' portray Teddy Roosevelt was Robin Williams. <laughs> um, I'm just looking. I mean, people who look like Teddy Roosevelt, it, it's tough. Like, you know, you get glasses, the short hair, and, you know, those very prominent teeth. Yeah. Unless we just come to mind. Unless we just use um, Bradley Whitford. <laughs> Put him in the big mustache. <laughs> I'm good with that. If we want to just use Bradley Whitford as Roosevelt. Um, so we'll use Bradley Whitford and then we'll use Teresa as his daughter. <laughs> that was really fucking funny. <laughs> Why wouldn't Bradley Whitford play Teddy Roosevelt? The only other person that comes to mind is like Paul Giamatti. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Giamatti would be pretty funny too. Um Okay, so remind me of your casting, and you had Dan Stevens, which I definitely want to use because I like the idea of having like the star marathoner. Yeah, he's your star marathoner, pretty boy, who's uh, just immediately vomiting blood because of the horrible <laughs> conditions of this track. Uh, and who else did you have? Uh, Jonah Hill as the random schlub that gets doped up at every opportunity. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm referring to all these characters as archetypes. So there's the pretty boy, he's the guinea pig. Okay. That they're testing everything on the water, the drugs, the yada yada. Uh, Michael Michael Pena as as the well dressed man. Uh, Brie Larson as as the liar, and then Rowan Atkinson was my head of the Olympic committee. Okay, I definitely want Rowan because I think that'd be great to have him. Um, can we replace Jonah Hill with Danny McBride? Because I feel like that character that you want mm-hmm. is very much in Danny McBride's wheelhouse. Like I'm thinking of like kind of pineapple express when the guys are torturing 100%. him and 100%. he's just kind of like going with it and letting it happen. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on board with that. Danny <laughs> and I love both of them, but I feel like this is just right in Danny McBride's wheelhouse. 100. Um, I, I want to use Paul Rudd just cause I love him. And I also like the idea of using Paul Rudd and, and Brie Larson and Michael Pena, three MCU actors. Um, <laughs> so what can we, we know use, what we're doing? <laughs> what can we use Paul Rudd for in your archetypes? What kind of, uh, character could he be hmm let's see because we have brie larson as the liar those are just the, we're using off the archetypal names you came up with mm-hmm. um brie larson's the liar 
Danny McBride's the guinea pig. Dan Stevens is the the star, or whatever you mm-hmm. said, the jock. Yep. Um, if we use Paul Rudd, let's see. Because I'm trying to because trying to think of other of, people from the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. There's the guy that actually won. Because Fred this, Lures is basically the guinea pig character, yeah. sort of. So, or no, I'm we, sorry, Hicks. Hicks is the one that they like force fed strychnine and egg yeah. whites. We can have Paul Rudd fill the archetype of the tourist. That, or he he could kind of be the cheat. I guess that's that's possible. I I was kind of envisioning him having a much better time than everyone. Like okay, like he's just having fun. Yeah, the elements of the story of like playfully snatching a couple of peaches and like taking a nap in an apple orchard like you know he's just kind of stringing along okay i have i love that character i actually don't want to use paul rudd i want to use billy magnuson billy magnuson is uh he was an american people versus oj yes and he was also in game night and he's uh he's like the funny swedish prince in aladdin and stuff like that yes 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 um, I, I would like him to be, you said tourist and I immediately thought of his character in Aladdin. So I would yeah. love to see him with kind of like that Norwegian Swedish accent or something. And mm-hmm. he's just kind of like, Oh, this is good. This is a fun race. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is from a very laid back athletic tradition. And he's just yeah. here. Uh, so Billy Magnuson, who was actually, he's in the, uh, the Sopranos movie that they're filming uh, back in Bloomfield when, uh, when Broad hey, Street was many shut down. in Newark. I badly wanted to bump into him, and it did not happen. <laughs> Very exciting. Although they made me late to work one day. They made me late a couple times, actually. Yeah. <laughs> they were filming that whole week right at Holston's. Um, what a cast. Yeah, and it was pretty cool to see the street set up like 1960s. Yeah, Holston. I, I was hoping they would keep the old advertisement up I, on the side of Holston. Dude, me too. I really wanted them to keep that. But also, like, did you get did you get to drive by and like see any of the old cars and stuff? Yes, yes. it was really cool. I think I saw. It looked like Corey Stoll. I'm oh, not 100% really? Sure, if it was like, yeah, it, it was. It was a Is tall bald it? guy. Yeah, it was a tall bald guy in glasses and a fedora, and it it looked like Very Corey well Stoll, but I've never seen him wear a hat before. Yeah, so true. I don't one hundred percent know that it was, but it's the sixties. Everyone was so. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we bring in Billy Madison. I think he's playing Uncle Junior. Oh, nice, cool. I only watched like the first two seasons of The Sopranos, and that was actually recent, like during quarantine. I need to get. I need to go through it again. Yeah. Um, but again, it's that that's just another one of those shows where like when they're our episodes. Oh wow, Polly Magnuson. Uh, it's not Polly Mag. Billy Magnuson <laughs> is playing Polly Walnuts. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> That's fucking insane. That's awesome. I love Billy Magnuson. I showed you Game Night, right? Yes, yes. Okay, you, I'm a big... <laughs> yelled at me for three months until I watched it. For, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm a big proponent for Game Night. It's actually one of my absolute favorite movies now. Um, but Billy Magnuson plays kind of like the pretty boy idiot, and he's absolutely hilarious in that movie. Um, so, okay, so we kind of have a good cast here. I want to, just because I adore her, I want to bring in Catherine Hahn so we have one more female character. Mm-hmm. So what kind of archetype do you think we could put her under? Hmm. Could she be the one who is organizing the uh, the tests Ooh, on yeah. Bride? Yeah, that, well, that, and she could also like be handing out the water. Like, she's like the marathon worker or something. Yes. 
Yeah. Like, she's the one giving everything to everybody and surreptitiously getting Danny McBride, Strychnine, and Egg Whites and whatever else <laughs> they feel like trying. Love it. That's great. I can um, imagine him just foaming at the mouth by the last leg of the screen. <laughs> All right. So where do we take this? So we have the actual race. The 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 first place winner gets to take out Alice Roosevelt for, for dinner or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think of like, maybe there's some people that are actually just afraid of Teddy Roosevelt. So they don't want to win, but they're somehow forced into the race anyway. Yep. <laughs> I love that as an ocean. It becomes almost Stephen Kingish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do we do it as a marathon, or do we do the triathlon idea? Because I think so the triathlon I, I, gives us some more, some more work. You know, it does. But I've also got an idea for how to end the movie now, which is, which is, we go through all of that and the cheating and the disasters and the bad conditions and the possible deaths, and we end up in the in the stadium at the end and celebrating whoever won. And everyone is just exhausted and beaten down and, you know, overdosing on drugs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of stuff, And man. then we find out it's a triathlon. Like, that's the smash cut to black is you guys still got to do the biking and the swimming. Oh, my God. So the ending is literally them finding out the marathon was just the first portion. Everyone blew their wad completely <laughs> on the I running. I love that. Because we could love say that. this is the first triathlon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like maybe like the the like Rowan Atkinson's character is like, "All right, and now we move on to the cycling." And they're all like, "What?" Bum, what? Bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um I love that. My my question here, okay, we got we just have to come up with a lot of scenarios to make it a full-length film. Like it's not going to be more than 90 minutes, but we got to come up with 90 minutes of of action mm-hmm. for this movie. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do kind of imagine these like hard titles announcing like what everyone's in for in the next leg of the race. Oh, like, you know what? What could actually work really well? Smash cut titles to each mile marker. So each mile marker becomes kind of a chapter of the film. Yep, there it is. Yeah. So we have like, boom, mile three. And then we kind of see, you know three or four of the characters going through mile three, yeah. boom, mile boom. four yeah. or mile six. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. We, we probably wouldn't go every, every. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then That's we cut to him. Yeah. But then we cut to another mile and it's just showing other characters and where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could work really well. Yeah. And then, you know, we would be able then to really parse out and do the jokes that we want with each problem from the dust to the Hills, which yeah. is a lot of fun as we treat it almost like an Everest movie. Mm hmm. Which, by the way, I like love the that seventh movie. fucking hill you've got to run over. It's just, ah! Yeah. So let's just come up with some ideas of what can be scenarios in this. So we have the cars kicking up the dust. I like I'd like to keep the boulders. Um, so who do we say was our cheat? It was uh, Billy Magnuson. Brie Larson. Oh, Brie Lar- oh, no. Brie Larson was a liar. We oh, had a right. cheat as Billy Magnuson. So we have him literally just. No, I'm sorry. No, he was the tourist. Who was our cheat? Yep. I, was I it Danny McBride? Uh, well, no, he's he's being no, cheated. he's a guinea pig. A pawn. Uh, <laughs> Damn, who did we say? I thought we said. I, I think I, I folded in the cheating into Brie Larson. Okay, so in just mine. as the female posing as a man, we have yeah. Brie Larson just kind of cheating her way through. Um, yeah. the so, you know, the, the only thing I feel about that is like, in the terms of like modern society if we if we bend that character into that is that kind of conforming to the idea that as a woman she can't compete with men without you know getting a leg up 
I don't want to, I don't want to have that kind of, you know, uh, I guess debate within the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, I guess so. It kind of depends on the portrayal of like, is Very she athletically true. capable, which I yeah. know is Brie Larson. So I would say, yes, it's just sort of a very almost i don't want to say revenge but she's working out a lot of anger on people okay yeah no i, I can get behind that uh, yeah it's 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 exactly like you said like as long as it's not portrayed as the reason she's cheating is because she's a woman and can't compete with men you know mm-hmm. so i think it's fine as long as we don't make sh- as long as we make sure yeah. that that's not the route it's perceived by the audience like kind of almost what i was i was aping with that as a notion is there's this one episode of south park where they're out in aspen and Stan gets into a skiing contest with someone who's like twice his age and you know fully grown and mm-hmm. Stan doesn't really know how to ski <laughs> but the guy treats it like it's a classic 80s movie ski race <laughs> and like at every stage of it he's like you know knocking over trees and doing and meanwhile you just cut back to Stan doing like french fries pizza <laughs> french fries and just slowly coming down that and this guy's just like he'll never get past this fallen tree like, bro you could have you could have ended the race <laughs> by, 10 minutes ago stop by stopping not cutting down that tree <laughs> yeah so that's that's kind of what i was vibing okay no that i can get behind i like that she's she's taking so much time to like offset the other runners that she literally could have won the race by now <laughs> yeah, it's like have, have you noticed that every time that you stop to do something you are in fact in the lead yeah <laughs> all right i gotta keep this lead i gotta keep this lead what should i put in front of them why don't you just keep running shut up tom <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what's so funny about like those kind of one syllable names or something where you just kind of yell at them for it, or just short names shut up kevin the, the monosyllabic names with like especially the hard consonants like yeah. craig yeah i don't know why they're just funny fuck you craig <laughs> um okay so we have the boulders we have the dust kicking up what other kind of we have we have Danny McBride being force fed strychnine, um, yep. and brandy. I definitely want to throw the brandy in there. Yeah, he's every time they stop for shit. something, he's, he's, <laughs> he has to deal with something else that they're putting into him. <laughs> he doesn't know. You know, he's just like, ah, Doc said that this is good for me. <laughs> Never run this long before. Is it normal that my eyeballs are falling out? <laughs> is it weird? I can't the feel wind? the left. Is it weird? I can't feel the left side of my body. <laughs> Um, what else do we have? Because the other scenarios I came up with were for the triathlon, so we can't do the shark attack. <laughs> we can't do the stealing a kid's bike. Um, can we go something like super wacky, like Brie Larson sets up like a friggin' child's lemonade stand, but spikes the lemonade with strychnine or something like that. Oh gosh, oh gosh, yeah, that's, a, that's not bad. It's like or, or laxatives. Yeah, laxative. Yeah, yeah. It's very dumb. A couple dumber. packets of Swiss Chris into there. <laughs> um, I like the notion of there being like a beat in the middle of the movie, uh, where they have to just kind of stand there and wait because this is such a poorly plotted race course that there's a train going by and they just got to stand there while it passes. And, and then there's like four. There's like one guy that's like, no, I'm just going to I'm going to beat it. And he like dies and gets hit by the train or something or trips under the tracks. Lots of respectable (laughs) people get hit by trains. (laughs) (laughs) 
they're just sitting there watching and there's nothing they can do. They're all just yeah. like, ooh, we got to wait for this to pass. Yeah, this is just forced, <laughs> like, quiet moment with all of them where it's like for the first time they're just kind of surveying the competition <laughs> and, looking at, and just idly talking and we can get a little bit of character development in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of them still kind of jogging in place because they're, like, really serious about it. <laughs> yeah. Danny McBride is just in another dimension. It's like, so what do you... What do you do, Professor Bricks? <laughs> oh yeah, he's the Fred Lores character. He's just like, we need another runner. Uh, go get the guy who does like the printing press shit. <laughs> what other like early nineteen hundreds job there would have been? Bartender or something. <laughs> it's so fucked up. They're like, what do you do uh, when you're not running? And he's just like, there's something that isn't this. <laughs> so poisoned. Isn't- isn't this, isn't this everything? His pupils are enlarged like crazy. Yeah. Saucers. <laughs> I've always been here. <laughs> I've always been here. That's so terrifying of a line. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we... You are the caretaker. <laughs> so I would always. love... For anyone, for anyone listening to this episode, if you have ideas for different scenarios we can put these characters into during the marathon, please tweet us at uh, WDYG Podcast uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'd love to hear what uh, scenarios and options you guys come up with as well. Um, so we get them to the. Do any of these main characters die? I think that's the question we should we should answer. I mean, we just kind of leave Dan Stevens there during that's like true. the first leg, so it's possible that he dies. We don't really bring <laughs> it up again. I think. He's never mentioned again until like the very end where the, when they're saying like there's a triathlon, they're like, we're missing a runner. <laughs> yep. Like none of them care. Like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he trains um, for this. So, yeah. So the, the reason he collapses immediately is what do we have? Because of the dust of the cars. Um. Yeah, we're probably going a little over the top with that, like the thickness of it. That and also oh. the fact that since he is like the marathon runner, he's far ahead in the very beginning. So he's so like the runners aren't supposed to be that close to the cars. Yep. But because he's so quick and so like in shape, it's all getting kicked up directly into his just passage. Him. Yeah, yeah, it's just him. <laughs> and then like the cars are gone, and like a good six, seven minutes later, all the runners just kind of pass his body on the ground, twitching or something. <laughs> 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 they're all just stepping over him lightly <laughs> oh man okay so we end it with the we end it with the idea that the triathlon is is the second and third portions of the triathlon will begin soon uh do we do anything with the roosevelts before we we come to this end hmm trying to think or are they kind of just watching from the spectator stands at the like uh finish line the entire film yeah i think i think probably that i'm trying to you know it's it's not a a very final sort of ceremony at the end of this now because we're going into more events but yeah how hmm. does okay so i've i've never done a triathlon i don't know if you have but is there time between the three aspects or is it just you finish the run you go straight to the bike I do not remember from the last time I watched the Olympics. Okay. I have a feeling it's probably so, straight. Though. Yeah, I feel like it's straight through. Maybe in the 1900s, though, there was a little bit of a break. You know, like, okay, in 10 minutes, we're going to start the second portion or something like that. But, yeah. it, uh, you know, I, we can we can stress, we can we can stretch the reality of it. So I do like the notion that, like, at the, you know, they get to the, the finish line of the the running um, and a car pulls up and it's it's somebody who's picked up Dan Stevens 
And it seemed like, this man is in, in terrible shape. I think he's bleeding internally. And the Roosevelt's immediately take it that he has cheated and driven a car and pummel him into the ground. <laughs> he's immediately disqualified. Yeah, he's just he's disqualified and has his face broken. The the by funny the president thing, and his daughter. The, the funny thing about this is since it is a triathlon and we're ending it after the first portion, it sets it up for a sequel and the end of a trilogy. <laughs> it sets <laughs> it up for a three three film series. Oh my god! <laughs> so like it's it's gonna be like people see this in theaters and then they're like, are they making two more of these? <laughs> And then we never do. <laughs> or you could do some type of like end credit scene where like a two minute scene for the uh, the cycling and a two minute scene yeah. for the swimming or something Sharks, like that. Sharks, yeah. bicycle teenager hooligans. It's just kind of cuts just like 22 Jump Street when they show all the other 20, 20 sequel Jump Street movies that they, that they faked mm-hmm. doing. It's just kind of like quick cuts of different things that happened to them. So like there's the <laughs> shot. There's the shot of one of them being attacked by sharks. There's a shot of one stealing a bike and all that stuff. <laughs> it's just kind of one of those. I don't really know what you'd call them. Like the overlay shots during yeah. credits where like the credits are left justified and you have the shots on yeah. the right of scenes. Billy Magnuson is, is like riding in the basket on the front of someone's bike. <laughs> he somehow managed to fit himself in. And it's a kid's bike too. Yeah. The kid wouldn't let ding, him take ding. the bike. <laughs> the kid wouldn't let him take the bike. So he's like, fine, I'll sit on the front. <laughs> <laughs> He's just wagging his legs to, you know, make it feel like he's competing. <laughs> Brie Larson sticks a stick in someone's uh, spokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. We got a we got a comedy here, my friend. I, I really love the notion that just like Brie Larson woke up today and chose violence. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we pitched this script to her. We send her the script with the just the front the the line on the front of the title page is just you woke up today with violence in mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a weird one. This is a weird this, one, guys. This is a weird one. I like the weird ones we get to do when we get to go off down tangents and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you guys have any ideas for scenarios we can put these characters into, please tweet us at WDYG Podcast on Twitter. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, all the regular stuff, you know, and. and at this point, if you've been listening to us at episode 26 and you've been here since the beginning, hopefully you're subscribed and reviewed. Uh, if not, please, please do so and make sure you share wherever you listen, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, your freaking Tumblr blog. I don't care. Wherever you share this information helps us out tremendously. And we're looking to gain some foot traffic. Um, other than that, Rob, I don't know if anything you wanted to plug or anything like that. Um, not a lot uh, going on at the moment. Uh, my producing partner, Jeremy, uh, is doing some editing on the next audio drama coming out from our company, an adaptation of Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. And you can actually catch him on uh, Twitch uh, once every week or so on the Cape Swoosh ch- uh, Twitch channel. Yeah, you can see him uh, doing some editing and talking about the process Yeah, uh, as he gets it ready. And it's a great project. So yeah, check that out. We're going to have uh, some nothing, nothing in place, nothing planned yet, but we're going to have some new guest stars hopefully soon on the podcast. It's just dependent on how we can do it around COVID and Rob and I being uh, socially distant while recording in different areas oh, yeah. of the state. So it's we'd like to get more special guests, but I don't know how well three people on Zencaster would work. Um, um, I think we'll see. it works about the same. Just got to make sure like we're not having that problem like we had last time with the delay. Yeah, 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 that was a that was a big. Although I did listen to some of the episode and it did sound like it didn't it didn't pick up. So that's the magic of uh, your co-host being a professional editor. Yes. Who? Uh, Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Dave.
Dave Franco. <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> you had to meet Dave Franco? That'd be sick. Um, <laughs> you can introduce me to James Franco. <laughs> or more importantly, Allison Brie. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, and that's that's really that's really it. I, I have nothing else to say in my life. <laughs> Just be sure to stay safe out there, guys. The vaccines are rolling out. I've got one of the shots. I'm almost there. Yeah, so, I, uh, I'm on the wait list. I haven't been uh, I haven't been chosen yet. I guess I'm not lucky enough. Because you're healthy. That's true. <laughs> I guess that's true. And I'm a grub. <laughs> you friggin' plebeian. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that is, in fact, what we got. Later. <laughs> what Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Vice. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Vice. 